second dose hesitancy. If you are offered the other mRNA vaccine, please be assured that it is safe. The shifting vaccine supply and a drop-off in AstraZeneca shots. A major study of COVID in schools. This study was looking at the possibility that there could be quote-unquote silent transmissions. What it tells us about the real risk to teachers and students. And the dangers of sun exposure on children. What new research shows us about the cancer risk as kids get older. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Dr. Bonnie Henry is once again reassuring people about the AstraZeneca vaccine as a second dose now that a lot of people seem to be rejecting it. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the mixed message from the National Advisory Council on Immunizations last week hasn't helped. Another 10,000 doses of AstraZeneca arriving in B.C. this week. But there are questions, how many of those doses will go unused? Thanks to confusing communications and conflicting advice from health officials, the public is shying away from the viral vector vaccine. At pharmacies across the province, the decline in people willing to roll up their sleeves is noticeable. The first week was great. We injected um, several hundreds of people um, in a very short period of time, but then uh, lately it has been decreasing. Before last week's National Advisory Committee on Immunization announcement that the mRNA vaccines are preferred for first and second doses, BC pharmacists were doing somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 second inoculations a day. After a government data error was corrected, that number is a little more than half that volume. But as many as 60,000 appointments at pharmacies will go unfilled. Before last week, we were about 50-50, where people were making the decision to have a second dose of AstraZeneca or to opt for uh, a Pfizer or Moderna dose. And uh, part of that was because our second dose clinics, our mass clinics, were still being very uh, well subscribed by people who were in the age-based program. At this point, there appears to be little danger of wasting the fridge-stable AstraZeneca vaccine. But thousands of doses are set to expire by the end of June. According to UBC researchers, wasting any amount of vaccine is another example of just how poorly Canada has behaved on the international stage. It's hard to believe that we're even in a position to say that there's vaccine going unused when the vast majority of the world's population won't have access to, 20, to vaccine until 2024. There will still be AstraZeneca to administer, for people who can't get an mRNA shot or for people who want to make sure they get two of the same type of vaccine. But with more than a million mRNA shots arriving in BC this week, the majority of people will simply skip the pharmacy altogether. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Lots of mRNA, but which one? Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Our vaccine supply is going to change over the next week or so, Keith. And some people might find they don't have the choice they were expecting. 
Yeah, so the face of our vaccine supply has shifted significantly. I'm not talking about AstraZeneca here. We're talking about one of the messenger RNA vaccines. Our workhorse vaccine has been Pfizer for so long. That is changing now for at least the next few days. Take a look at the numbers as they break down. As of last night, we had 370,000 uh, Moderna doses on hand, for just 43,000 Pfizer doses, uh, 78,000 AstraZeneca doses. Those Pfizer doses are largely gone, uh, I would think, by today. Moderna now, if you're getting a second dose of Pfizer, you are going to be offered Moderna. And again, Dr. Bonnie Henry says there's absolutely no risk here. They're interchangeable. You're going to be healthy and get very high protection if you mix and match Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix making the point today. The, the numbers tell the story here. You're going to be offered Moderna for at least the next little while because we have so much of that and so few doses of Pfizer. Many, many people who receive Pfizer as their first dose are going to receive Moderna as their second dose. And clearly in terms of its procurement strategy, the federal government is having, will have, as they did in uh, March and April and May when they had uh, a lot of Pfizer and it became our workhorse vaccine and less Moderna, to a degree the reverse is happening now. I just got off the phone with Minister Dix, and he tells me they are still expecting to get the weekly Pfizer shipment uh, later this week, 328,000 doses, but it hasn't arrived yet. It was supposed to arrive the last couple of days. And then it's going to go down in number in the first two weeks of July, almost cut in half. So Moderna will be our workhorse vaccine for the foreseeable future, which means a lot of people, as the minister said, a lot of people who got Pfizer first dose are going to be expecting to get Moderna, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that from public health's point of view. And that is the message that they'll be uh, continuing to give. Thanks very much, yep. Keith. Our COVID case numbers continue to plunge. We have just 56 new cases, marking the fourth straight day infections have been in double digits. Total cases for the province are 147,187, with just over 1,150 of those cases active. There are 111 people in hospital, 41 of those patients in the ICU, and there have been, thankfully, no new COVID-related deaths. Dr. Henry took the COVID media briefing show to BC's northern capital today for a couple of reasons. To thank that region's health care workers and also to encourage people to get vaccinated. Global's Ahmad Agahi is in Prince George tonight. And Ahmad, Dr. Henry has concerns, obviously, about the vaccination rates there. Yeah, it sure seems that way, given that she's here and planning to stay in the area in the coming days. The percentage of people in this part of the province getting their first dose of the COVID vaccine is significantly lower than BC's total rate, which is what health officials are trying to change now. 57 years, Jerry Gothrow has stood behind this counter. Steve Sons. The only thing he may know better than stitching shoes is having a conversation. And these days, usually about COVID-19. Did I get customers in here? Oh, that's, that's a hoax. Well, they're taking that lesson from Donald Trump. But to that, the 78-year-old cancer survivor has a go-to answer. You will see when you're counting the tiles at the ceiling in the hospital. One, two, three. <laughs> You'll find out, no, this is not a hoax. You're here at the hospital and you can't breathe. As of Tuesday, 77.7% of British Columbian adults have at least one COVID shot. A number that could be much higher, if not for vaccination rates hovering around the 50% range in northeastern BC and rural Prince George. 
It is indeed a pleasure to be speaking with you today from Prince George. This week, Dr. Bonnie Henry is traveling through the region, perhaps to encourage people into vaccination clinics, with phase three of BC's restart plan around the corner. What we have seen is that when we pay attention to different areas and when we use different strategies, they work. But will that work here? Well, I, I know some people who are not taking a vaccine. Uh, a few uh, women I know, young girls, they're afraid because they don't know what the results may be in the long term about getting pregnant. I don't fully trust it yet. <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of health is issues and everything, so I don't know how that would affect it. So I'm one of those anti-vaccine people. I will not get it. Our bodies are meant to fight off things, right? So like a cold or a flu. So I'm against it. All, all four people that want to get it, but I'm not going to be that person that does it. With the debate on vaccination still well and alive in this part of the province, there are still 58 active cases of COVID-19 in Northern Health. That, for Jerry Gothro, is reason enough for his best chance at immunity. They're inoculating every dog and, his, and cat, but everybody else is standing around waiting. Call me, for God's sake, give me that second shot. Well, Ahmad, she mentioned strategies. Uh, what are some of the strategies Dr. Henry is going to employ up there to get more people in northeastern BC vaccinated? Yeah, Chris, one of the things Dr. Bonnie Henry was encouraging people to do, people who live in rural parts of BC and want access to the vaccine and feel like they don't have access, she was encouraging them to contact Northern Health to work with them to set up what she called uh, a pop-up vaccination event, whether that's at your farmer market, at your local uh, health clinic, at a community centre. The promise is there could be vaccine and staff sent out there. Christ. All right, let's hope Northern Health gets some calls to set those clinics up. Thanks a lot, Imad. Well, in spite of the concerns of some teachers and parents, new research suggests schools in our province are a very low risk for COVID-19 transmission. Richard Zussman has reaction to a new Vancouver-based study and how its findings could impact school openings and closures going forward. Passing grades for BC's approach to COVID in schools. It's not zero, and so we're not saying that transmissions never happen in school, but the amount is similar to others that seem to be in the community. Researchers from UBC conducted COVID-19 antibody testing a few months ago on staff in the Vancouver School District. There were 1,689 school staff surveyed. 278 reported a close contact with a student or co-worker, and just five say they were infected with COVID-19 due to a school interaction. We had over 270 of the participants uh, felt they had a close contact with the case and um, a very small fraction of them actually had evidence of having been infected. The study comes as BC looks to a near normal return to school in the fall, including daily health checks but getting rid of physical distancing. It's reassuring to all of us that the measures in place were working and that that type of a structured environment is a safe environment. Certainly the additional cleaning needs to be in place, not just for COVID, but also for other communicable diseases. There was a remarkable reduction in communicable diseases in schools this year. The BC Teachers Federation quick to point out Vancouver was one of the few districts where there was a hybrid model for grades 8 to 12. So that allowed all students from 12 years old and older to physically distance in the classroom. And I think that probably paid off in terms of, of safety. 
BC was one of the only jurisdictions in North America to keep classrooms open throughout the entirety of the last school year. And researchers are hoping that their work will help others make similar decisions. It can help inform others around school closures and, and the fact that there does not seem to be uh, in our study, as well as many other studies that have looked at other methods, have not found secondary infections happening in school. But the teachers union warns this study alone can't dictate COVID measures in classroom. And the province should consider a regional approach to back to school in September based on transmission rates later this summer. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Another horror story is emerging over the critical shortage of paramedic services in B.C. And this time it involves an injured child. A Surrey mother says she was forced to take drastic action when no ambulance arrived for their emergency. Catherine Urquhart reports. I don't know what happened to me. I passed out. Eight-year-old Ira Khan had a frightening fall on Friday. As she was reaching up to close a bathroom window, she tumbled, landing hard on the tracking system of her shower door. I slipped, then I fell over eel. The Surrey girl says she was in pain and she was scared, as were her parents. She was not able to move her body at all. While she was talking, she was she passed out for almost 20 seconds. Iris' parents called 911. 30 minutes later, after an ambulance didn't arrive, they called 911 again and were told one wasn't available. Her father rushed her to emergency, where doctors did a series of tests for possible internal injuries. Fortunately, she didn't have any. I'm disappointed. I'm wondering what it's going to take for the ambulance service to really acknowledge these situations and, and know what they're doing and the effects on our patients and the public. Emergency Health Services told Global News, on June 18th at that time, we were experiencing a high call volume and did not have an ambulance immediately available as paramedics were responding to time-critical and potentially life-threatening medical emergency calls. Over the weekend, we saw incredible numbers of out-of-service, not-staffed ambulances, culminating Sunday night where we saw I'm reports I'm hearing from paramedics is that up to 50% of the ambulances were parked with no staff. The Khan family says they're speaking out because they're hoping the system can be improved. We cannot tell you how we felt on that time. It was horrific and terrific for us. It was what we have gone through. We don't want anybody to go been through on that situation. As for little Ira, she's still a bit sore, but is expected to make a full recovery. It's still hurting a little. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It was a trip to Costco that turned tragic. The deadly dispute between customers and what a man guilty of manslaughter said at his sentencing hearing today. That's next on the News Hour. It's given me a lot of like motivation and I'm super pumped. The mighty canoe racers of the Musqueam, a total team effort to bring back a tradition of winning decades after they once dominated. That's coming up. And the West End flying car. The story behind this bizarre scene in the sky over Vancouver later. Right now, though, a man convicted in the manslaughter death of an 86-year-old outside the Vancouver Costco has made a tearful apology to the victim's family. Thomas Toth's sentencing hearing is in its second day, but he has yet to learn his fate. Today, court heard from the defense, and Romina Dea was there. 61-year-old Thomas Stephen Toth visibly distraught as he stood in the prisoner's box. Tears streaming down the accused's face. 
his hand shaking as he delivered an emotional apology to the victim's family. I wish this didn't happen. I'm sad for the family. I'm sad what I did. I wish this didn't happen. It's been more than three years since 86-year-old Orlando Ocampo broke his neck and died after he was pushed outside the Costco store in Vancouver. Several generations of the Ocampo family in court, including the victim's grandson and 88-year-old wife. They have asked for privacy. According to the evidence, there was some sort of contact between the victim and the accused as they were exiting Costco five days before Christmas 2017. Toth swore at Ocampo, who got the security guard. The situation escalated quickly. Ocampo pepper sprayed Toth and his daughter. Ocampo had a weapon. It was a weapon, said defense. Swearing at someone is not a justifiable trigger to pepper spray someone. It certainly seems Mr. Toth's conduct was motivated by the fact that his daughter was in distress, added Chandra Corvo. Toth, who had 70 pounds and a foot on Ocampo, pushed the senior from behind in an intentional violent act, said Crown, resulting in Ocampo hitting his head on the ground. The jury rejected the theory of self-defense, finding Toth guilty of manslaughter. Sentencing delayed after Toth disappeared for two and a half months while on bail. He was arrested on a Canada-wide warrant last month. No violent history, no drug or alcohol problems. Corvo told the court Toth has not been diagnosed with a mental health disorder, but suffers from anxiety and claustrophobia. Crown asking for a jail sentence of 18 to 24 months. Defense making the case for 15 months behind bars. The judge will make her decision on June 29th. Romina Dea, Global News. The Independent Investigations Office of BC is looking into an incident in Abbotsford this weekend that ended with a suspect allegedly ramming two police vehicles in an effort to avoid arrest. It happened Saturday night along Progressive Way, this photo of the incident shared by an Abbotsford police constable. According to the tweet, officers were responding to an alleged theft in progress. Two men were located, one was arrested, the other fled the scene. The suspect allegedly deliberately drove into a police car in his attempt to escape and then collided with another police vehicle, injuring an officer. The suspect was eventually arrested and now faces charges of assault with a weapon. IIO is looking for witnesses or any dash cam video of the incident. Residents in the South Okanagan are still reeling after two suspicious fires consumed two historic Catholic churches yesterday, both on First Nations lands. The fires erupted in the early morning hours of National Indigenous Day. Now RCMP say they are reviewing video footage of what could be a vehicle connected to one or both fires. Claudia Van Emmerich reports. It is another piece of video that shows the inferno that destroyed the century-old Sacred Heart Church on Penticton Indian Bandlands. Flames erupted in the wee hours of Monday morning, and hours later, church members started arriving to see the devastation for themselves. And my heart broke is how I felt. I have been crying. I've been weeping all day. 
Just a short time after the Catholic Church went up in flames, another South Okanagan Catholic Church also caught fire, St. Gregory's Church in Oliver. The 109-year-old church was situated on the Osuyas Indian Bandlands. Both fires have been deemed suspicious and likely connected. It would be uh, a little bit of a stretch to believe that two churches on both on Indian band land went up independently of each other at the same time. And according to Graham, there was evidence of an accelerant found on the side of the Oliver Church, suggesting it was deliberately set. RCMP are now investigating both of the fires, including reviewing footage of a dark-colored truck leaving the Sacred Heart Church in Penticton just prior to the fire starting there. Fortunately, the quality of the video at this time doesn't allow us to identify the maker model, but uh, typically what we will do in these situations is send them to a forensic uh, video analyst to see if that video can be enhanced. If we can, and if we can get it enhanced to get the make and model out. The fires happened on National Indigenous Peoples Day, and just weeks after the remains of 215 children were found buried in unmarked graves at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Are you aware of a history of abuse connected to this church? Um, not that I'm aware of, no, but um, 1911 till now is 109 years. But the history of uh, churches and you know, and, and the abuses and stuff that happened, well, you, you can only surmise. Police are urging the public who may have information to come forward or call Crime Stoppers anonymously to help further the investigation. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News. Just ahead, gas prices spike, lumber prices fall. The factors impacting the price you pay for the things you need. And recognize this guy, what he stole that has police looking for him. Over a two-car crash here in Surrey and crews have the entire intersection of 138th Street and 74th Avenue completely blocked off. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million plus an estimated 70 max millions. Lotto Max dreamed to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Pro Vancouver gas prices are also soaring. Fuel prices across the region jumped overnight and are expected to push $1.65 a litre, if not higher, by tomorrow. A jump of about two cents per litre in most cities. Energy analysts say demand for oil is high and a lack of supply at the Washington State refinery that fuels the lower mainland and Vancouver Island is driving up the cost of gas. The Phillips 66 uh, refinery there has run into a, a problem with uh, one of its prime uh, units that produces gasoline, unleaded gasoline uh, and uh, supreme gasoline as well. It's not likely that we're going to get much of a break. We could see prices drop a little bit when the Ferndale refinery, Phillips 66, gets back up. But generally, I think, uh, you know, $1.60 to $1.75 looks like the numbers uh, we'll be paying throughout the summer. McTagg predicts the price for a litre of regular gas could top $1.75 a litre by Friday. Lumber markets are continuing their roller coaster ride. Not so long ago, the price of building materials was sending construction costs through the roof. But now, as Ted Chernecki reports, prices are starting to fall back to earth. 
Someone yell timber because the price of softwood lumber is falling and fast. The pandemic has messed up just about every economic model out there, and we've all seen it. Rising consumer prices on just about everything. You want to buy a bathtub or a fridge or a stove or OSB or windows or doors. Everything has had disruption. And so I think, you know, lumber is only one product that has seen major uh, disruption, but we've seen a lot of price volatility for sure. The most ever in, I think, the history of, of the lumber business. It was just a month ago and the price of a thousand board feet of softwood lumber peaked at over $1,600. Today, it's almost half that. It's what BC's Council of Forest Industries predicted. And now it's predicting lumber prices, though lower, won't fall below pre-COVID levels. So I think you're going to see solid lumber prices for quite some time because we still have very strong home construction uh, numbers and we expect those to continue on through the fall. Where we are seeing a softening is in the repair and remodeling sector. And if you compare the price of lumber from year to date to the price over the last five years, today's cost of around 900 is still about triple most of the five-year average. This, say some economists, is why we should not be worrying too much about inflation. This is basically a set of temporary phenomena. Markets need time to adjust. And eventually competition, once uh, the markets get going again, will drive down prices to uh, what they tend to be in the long run. And as worrisome as COVID's been these past 18 months or so, economists are more concerned about a much bigger issue. Climate change is really the number one that's affecting uh, all countries globally. And uh, so we really need to figure out uh, how we're going to change uh, that trend. The potential devastating impact of droughts, wildfires and floods is expected to give rise to a whole new economy, along with the vast infrastructure needed to reduce greenhouse gases. High lumber prices and inflation could soon be little more than an afterthought. Ted Chernacki, Global News. It wasn't a bird or a plane. It was a car flying above the West End. The site created quite a buzz on social media. A car dangling from a 50-foot long line below a helicopter that was being circled by another chopper. It turns out it's a TV commercial shoot with the second helicopter doing the filming. Coming up, recommendations for big changes in the travel industry. How air passengers could get some power back holding airlines to their promises. Also tonight, a new study that throws shade on conventional wisdom about sun protection for children. Better protection for the rights of air travelers and immediate refunds for passengers. Those are among 31 recommendations in a report on the air industry's recovery from COVID. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us now with more. And Thanks, Chris. You may recall Canadian Airlines initially refused to provide refunds for flights canceled due to the global pandemic. Air Canada and Air Transit began issuing refunds after they accepted financial relief packages, but many air travelers are still waiting to get their money back. The report from the House of Commons Standing Committee on Transport recommends one of the conditions for any financial support from Ottawa should be that airlines reimburse customers for COVID-related cancellations. It also urges the government to immediately require that all Canadian airlines fully refund passengers for flights they were unable to take due to the pandemic. In terms of Bill C-249, a private member's bill, the committee recommends it be considered as soon as possible with a 
a view to its speedy passage to ensure the protection of passengers' rights to a refund. The advocacy group Air Passenger Rights says this is a significant political step and vindication for their longstanding position. In terms of refunds, um, unfortunately, that recognition does not immediately translate to money in passengers' pockets. It is the government that has to take actions to enforce those rights of passengers. If the bill becomes a law, it means that passengers would not be put in the same situation to what happened with uh, the airlines over the past year. It would ensure that there is a clear, simple language in our law books that ensures that passengers are promptly provided refunds if the airline cancels the flight for any reason. Now, the private member's bill still has to go through what could be a lengthy legislative process, including passing second and third readings before members decide whether it should be adopted. Now, the good news here is Air Canada Passenger Rights says credit card companies and provincial regulators are aware of this development, so it may make it easier for passengers to get flight refunds through the existing channels. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thank you very much. Well, we could all benefit from a little shade in the summer heat, but BC cancer researchers are using it to study the impact on UV exposure in children. Kylie Stanton has more on the unique pilot project and its goal to reduce the risk of developing skin cancer later in life. Hey, you're covered, bud. Lathering up is just a part of growing up. The price we all pay for a little fun in the sun. Lots of sunblocks, sunshades, hats. Even if they don't burn, the heat hits them hard and fast. Now researchers at BC Cancer are working towards adding another layer of protection, launching a pilot project aimed at preventing skin cancer before it starts by shielding preschoolers from sun exposure. We are assessing the impact of shade structure on the um, UV exposure um, from the sun and level of physical activity among children in a daycare. The shades, like this one, are put up in the outdoor play area. Over the course of six months, participants will wear devices to measure both the level of UV exposure as well as their physical activity. We are hoping that it provides us information about the practicality of shade structure in the province as a future cancer prevention strategy. With skin cancer on the rise, the timing is key. This year, it's projected 1,345 British Columbians will be diagnosed with melanoma. But by 2031, that number is expected to rise more than 26 percent, hitting 1,705 cases per year. Now, we can change that by asking people to adjust their sun exposure behavior. So I'm not telling people to go live in a cave. You just have to be a little bit more careful. Having access to outdoor shade structures makes that a little easier. And while the study's findings won't be released until late September, the hope is these will become the norm at daycares, preschools, even playgrounds to help aid in prevention. And uh, consequently, we'll see more shade in play areas uh, uh, in the province. In the meantime, parents need to keep their lather game strong. If they're going to be any match for this weather, they have no choice but to be very, very careful. Yeah. Kylie Stanton, Global News. As the temperatures soar, it's time for an annual warning from the SPCA about how hot cars can be deadly to pets. 
You're being urged not to leave an animal in a parked vehicle even for a few minutes. The temperature inside a parked car, even in the shade and with windows partially open, can become lethal in just minutes. If you do see an animal in distress inside a car, call for help. Only the SPCA, Animal Control or Police are authorized to break into a vehicle. Last year, the BCSPCA responded to more than 800 calls about animals left in hot cars. Still to come, a local First Nation carving out a new path. We can cut this log right in half and get two canoes out of it. The plan to turn that massive log into a racing canoe and training a new generation for paddling glory. And in sports, the Sedins are back. A new role for the Twins in the Canucks head office. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Day passes for five popular BC parks can now be reserved online. Anyone who wants to visit Joffrey Lakes, Golden Ears, as well as some of the trails at Mount Robson, the Chief, and Garibaldi Park between now and October will need to reserve the day pass. The passes are free and can now be reserved for the next day. Another change is you won't have to reserve a spot for Seymour or Cyprus anymore, which is good. A lot of people probably looking for a cool mountain forest trail today. Uh, hot in that heat, and, and we've set a lot of records lately, Christy. Yeah, so the last couple of days we set a ton of them. Chris, today only one, surprisingly, because I tell you, it still feels incredibly hot out here. Tomorrow, if you don't like the heat, tomorrow's your day. We are going to see a bit of a reprieve. Here's a look at what we're expecting. So as we head into tomorrow, we're going to see increasing cloud from the north, a slight chance of showers in a few areas in the interior. But tomorrow, that will drop the heat a little bit in many areas. Uh, still mid-30s in the interior, but coastal regions will certainly see a change. But then the heat dome starts to develop. This is pretty major. We've got a big upper-level ridge. It looks like it's going to last Friday right through Tuesday. So here's a look at a heat dome basically traps in that heat and humidity across the region and just doesn't allow it to move. So Saturday, we're talking about potentially 30 degrees near the water in Metro Vancouver, away from the water upper 30s. Then on Sunday, that's when the real surge starts to take, take hold. So we're talking potentially close to 40. Now, keep in mind, these are forecasts. We're still days out, but this is what we're the type of heat we're talking about and then into monday uh, for the interior regions that heat really soars 40 degrees potentially even above that in some areas 42 and we could even see that into tuesday although we are expecting a bit of a change come tuesday so that's a bit iffy nonetheless prepare for the heat make sure you're getting yourselves ready with water whatever it might be tomorrow though much cooler as you can see here and then it's not until thursday friday that we'll start to rebound in terms of that big heat and don't forget uv index is very high I'll leave you with your tonight center windows weather window, which is another great shot of a little guy too hot in the heat. Yes, this squirrel is just done. Don't we all Thank feel like doing that, that in, in that heat? Thanks very much, Christy. And apologies for the buzz on the microphone there. It's not your TV sets. It's on our end. So we apologize for that. But thanks very much, Christy. Police on Vancouver Island are looking for a man who stole some very expensive liquor. Oak Bay police have released surveillance images of a man who's suspected of stealing a bottle of Macallan Number no. 6 whiskey, valued at just over, get this, $4,600. It happened on Monday at the Cork and Barrel Liquor Store on Oak Bay Avenue. 
The man is described as Caucasian with a medium build, wearing a blue ball cap, a gray shirt with a logo on the front, black pants and white Adidas shoes. He had a tattoo on his left arm. Anyone with any information should call Oak Bay Police. There we go. $5,000 whiskey. Maybe Brent Hayden will be able to celebrate with a shot of that after Tokyo. Here's Squire with a look ahead to sports. Yeah, remember, uh, wow, it's almost 10 years ago, Brent Hayden quit swimming, said he was done. Now he's back, and he's qualified for a fourth Olympics. You know, I thought I was old when I retired at the age of 27. Well, he's 37 now, so he's even older. But he says he's just as fast as he used to be. Also coming up later, powerhouse paddlers, the Musqueam, dip into their championship past for motivation with a new generation of canoe racers. All right, Squire, you're up. Okay, thank you very much. Um, it's now official. Daniel and Henrik Sedin are back with the Canucks. They're not going to play, though, although I bet you they still could. They're going to be special advisors to general manager Jim Benning. We've been talking about this for a while, and it's great they're back on board with the Canucks. They're smart guys. They're good guys. My question is, will Henrik and Daniel always have the same advice? Do they ever have a different opinion from each other, or will it be... This is what I think, and so does my brother. We'll find out more tomorrow. They'll have a press conference. Okay, Marc-Andre Fleury back as a starting goalie after not starting game four for Vegas. Robin Leonard's back on the bench. It's Josh Anderson. He doesn't score, but Fleury loses sight of the puck. And Vegas loses the sight of Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who is trailing, goes right to the puck, throws in the backhand, and Montreal's leading this game by the score of 1-0 late in the first. Okay. The Vancouver Whitecaps are on a four-game losing streak, and tomorrow they'll face the L.A. Galaxy. And the L.A. Galaxy have been a lot better than the Vancouver Whitecaps so far this season. So this one will not be easy. Game time is 7.30, and appropriately enough, you can hear it on AM 7.30, starting with a pregame show at 6.30. The Caps, of course, are still exiled in Utah. They can't play in Canada right now, just like Toronto can't, just like Montreal can't. They all have to play their games in the U.S., and it's causing issues for everyone. I think the Canadian teams have 26 or 27 games played outside, and I think we have six wins together, if I'm not mistaken. It shows that I also feel for Toronto and for Montreal because it shouldn't be like that, uh, but it's the way it is. To Euro, and it's Harry Kane in England against the Czech Republic. Only one goal in this game came in the 12th minute. Grealish. Across Raheem Sterling. Very nice. That's the only goal. It wasn't a very exciting game, actually. England won at one nothing. but both of these teams have qualified for the knockout stage. Scotland was taking on Croatia. The great Luka Modric still playing. Fantastic in the last World Cup. Look at this. Scotland scores. Callum McGregor. 1-1. But then Modric. I think he's 35 now, but this guy still has major skills. Watch this shot. 
Watch the curve on it. And Croatia wins it 3-1. And now he wants to hug us all. And Croatia qualifies for the knockout stage. The uh, Canadian Olympic swim team will be sending athletes from various generations. One of our rising stars in the pool who has qualified for Tokyo is 14-year-old Summer McIntosh. She will swim in multiple events. And one of our stars who has been shining since the mid-2000s also qualified. 37-year-old Brent Hayden, who's been in the water almost as long as King Neptune has. And he'll be going to Tokyo as well. Brent Hayden just battling there with Leendo. They're neck and neck, reaching for the wall. Hayden got there first in 2182. Wow. 2182. Uh, I mean, it's my second fastest swim I've, I've ever done. My can, I'm just barely off my Canadian record. But when I set that Canadian record, I was doing that during the super suit era. So that that was a, you know, I had one of those super uh, tech fast suits on when I did that. So this swim now, you know, was way better um, in terms of performance than, than that one was. And you know, just you factor in the, the fact that I was, you know, I was out of the water for seven years. I'm, I'm, I'm 37 years old, you know, almost 38. And like. Just to be able to say that my body is performing better than when it when I thought it was at its best is absolutely amazing. Regarded as the fastest Canadian swimmer in history, being just as fast, if not quicker, than he was a decade ago is an incredible achievement for Canada's Brent Hayden. The former world champion, multi-Canadian record holder, and Olympic bronze medal winner in the 100 meters is off to his fourth Summer Olympic Games, where he'll add another tattoo and hopefully another Olympic medal. You know, I thought I was old when I retired at the age of 27, right? Like that was, that was a limitation that I had uh, put on myself. You know, I was the oldest one in the final by five years. And, you know, my back spasms were really bad at at that time that, you know, I thought my body was just going to be too old. I feel like, you know, if anything, if anybody can take anything away from, uh, from my journey is, you know, don't limit yourself and don't ever Mm -hmm. feel like it's too late to really go after the things that you love to do. The Senate has a well, the Senate has approved a bill which allows betting on single sports games rather than having the bet on two or more in order to win a bet. It still awaits royal assent to become law, but once it does, you will see BCLC and similar sites around Canada offer up bets just like they do in Vegas or at offshore betting sites. And that's why Canada wants to change the law, because around $4 billion a year is going to sports betting sites outside of Canada who offer single-game betting. Okay, after being off for two years, the Canada Cup Softball Championship says it will be back next year, starting on June 17th and running to June 22nd. It's one of the top tournaments in the world for women's softball. The first event was held way back in 1993. The NBA draft lottery was held tonight. The Detroit Pistons will pick number one. The uh, Raptors will pick fourth overall in the draft. And some sad news, 72-year-old Rene Robert, who was part of the French Connection line for the Buffalo Sabres in the 70s with Rick Martin and Jobert Perrault, has died from a heart attack. Sad news. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We'll take a break and be back with Paddle Power, how the Musqueam are reviving a winning tradition in canoe racing. The Musqueam Nation is resurrecting its long history of dominating canoe racing. A group is resurrecting the tradition, and Jay Durant tells us how they're doing it on tonight's This Is BC, inspiring old and young. 
One, two, three! It's been a long time since they've been able to get race canoes back into the water. Almost three decades, but finally, competition is here again. Me and my father had the dream of restoring the canoes in our community. Musqueam youth will be racing this summer, continuing an incredible history. From the dominant teams that paddled the canoe called the Point Grey at the turn of the 20th century to the Seven Sisters dynasty of the 1960s, early 70s. The first race we went to, we won. We won every race after that. Dick Lewis raced on those teams. His son Kelly raced in the late 1980s, early 90s. The two spent years trying to find suitable canoes. Now they have the Endeavour and the Celtic Sunset. That, that was to honour the person who built it. He was uh, our canoe builder in this community. First job, we're going to do a, do a cut up the middle here. And now Dick will carve the first big racing canoes in the community in 40 years, turning the seven-ton red cedar into two 11-person canoes for future generations to race. To build a canoe here is really important to me because once we lost our uncles, there was no, no canoe builders. And so, after a long break, that story tradition will finally continue this summer. We're more like a family than a team at this point. Uh, we're working really well together. It's, it's really great. It's given me a lot of like motivation, and I'm super pumped, and I think everybody else is too, so we can't wait. We're just counting down the days now. Jay Durant, Global News. Good luck to the crew. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell, or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Great to see those guys out on the water. Last uh, look at the weather before we go, mm -hmm. Christy. So finally, a bit of relief from the heat tomorrow, Chris. A little bit of relief from the heat. But then Thursday and into the weekend in particular, really, I urge everyone to be aware how hot it's going to get. Make sure you're checking on neighbors and make sure you are uh, maybe get the old sprinkler out or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Maybe plan a trip to a pool. Just do not leave animals or kids in the car. It's going to be hot. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.